With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Eight, uh, the first of two straight games against uh, top 10 teams, Houston, uh, coming to town uh, next week. And UCF uh, has had a great student section turnout this year, obviously for Big 12 games. And I've had a chance to experience some uh, new venues in the Big 12. Uh, BYU, their first year also, incredible student sections. And I was asking Kyle before, uh, you know, you watch college basketball. At some places, you see where the student section is in the second half. The visiting team is shooting free throws in a, some crazy student sections, and you kind of wonder, does all that matter? Well, our next guest actually did the research to uh, kind of find an answer. Uh, Paul Saban has actually been a guest on the show before, a uh, sports analytics uh, expert, and uh, has a great long piece uh, with all the data. First, welcome back, Paul. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Um, all right. First off, um, where did the idea come from? You said, okay, now I, I think I want to go all in and start doing the work on this. Something had to make you go, yeah, I think I want to know a little bit more about if this truly does impact the visiting team. Yeah, I mean, um, full disclosure, I, I was an undergrad at, at BYU, so I was watching some Big 12 basketball maybe a month ago, and you know, similar to the uh, UCF fans in the area, you know, it's it's a huge step up in uh, competition, you know, night in, night out. And it seems like it's almost impossible to win on the road. And so I just, you know, it was one of those things. I was just like, hey, you know, students do stuff like this. Does it really matter or is it more just fun? And that's kind of where I thought about looking into it. By the way, that was my first trip for basketball to BYU. I was out there for football before and it should be a bucket list for anybody in basketball. I was blown away about the environment, and their student section is phenomenal BYU, by the way. It was great. Yeah, so I was a student there. You know, I won't want to date myself, but uh, a certain guy named Jimmer Fredette was playing when yeah. I was a student there. So that's, I think it's probably when it kind of changed to a new level there when, you know, that they had that nice little run for a couple of years with him. Uh, give me some background on the data that you use because not every student section is positioned behind the basket. So as you began to do the research, what was some of the data that you identified? Yeah, I mean, I was mostly just looking at, so I did two different things. One was just looking at first half versus second half free throw percentages for teams. So that was a very simple, very simple metric, hopefully. And I, I've learned that simple things sometimes are maybe not the most, you know, analytically sound but they're easy to digest so you know on average teams actually shoot a one percent better in the second half than in the first half on the road but that that has to do with more you know the end of the game and you're fouling and the winning team puts their best free throw shooters on the ball and so they shoot a little bit better but there are certain teams and there's a handful of teams byu arizona state are are among them who definitely seem to have a disproportionate effect on the second half free throw shooting and those teams that I've looked at they also all had their student sections right behind the basket now I didn't have the data for every single you know team and how that is um, but it certainly seemed to be the case that that was a contributing factor by the way for those that don't know explain 
what the curtain of distraction is at, at Arizona State, because that's one thing I'm looking forward to with ASU coming into the league next year. Yeah, so I mean, I think they started it almost ten years ago, and they have you know they have this little curtain, and um, you know when someone's shooting a free throw, you don't know what's behind the curtain, but right before the person shoots, they open the curtain, and they have something that's supposed to be distracting. So it got you know a lot of attention in 2015, 2016 when they sort of started this. You know, one one game, Michael Phelps, I think, who went to ASU. Um, you know, was in there in his speedo and gold medals. You know, and it certainly would be. I would be distracted if I saw. You know, the the greatest Olympian of all time randomly appear while I'm trying to shoot a free throw with the shirt off. So, by the way, in your piece, one of the interesting things that I'm looking at um, uh, 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 that you show about, for example, at Duke, the certain yeah. types of distractions that they use because it's not just wave your hands and something. That the whole, there's a whole bunch of different things that Duke will do uh, in their student section. Yeah, I, I mean, I would love to research this a little bit more, but I think one of the things that might be impactful is just the unexpected nature. Um, and so, yeah, Duke, uh, you know, when I was a kid, my, my sister went there for her graduate work, and, you know, they have, I mean, they're very coordinated. They have this, like, playbook, essentially, for for the student section of, you know, what to do when, what, you know, distractions, what, what to chant, what to yell. Very well coordinated, and... Um, yeah, so, you know, that someone at Duke, you know, kind of looked into, you know, what had affected different shooters. You know, that, that was, you know, more of a small sample study, so I, I don't know if I hold too much weight into that. But I certainly do think sort of the unexpected thing is hard to prepare for. Quickly, 10 o'clock hour, WYG, Orlando, WJR, HD2, Cocoa Beach, Orlando Sports Leader, Martinos in the Beat of Sports. Does the size of a student section matter? Because uh, some of the teams that you, you showed, not necessarily known to have large crowds or ten or 15,000, are there some smaller programs that also stand out for the impact of a student section? Yeah, it's hard to know because you have sort of this confounding effect, which is that the schools with really big student sections and big universities also tend to be better at sports because they're big state schools or they you know, have large uh, funds and so it's hard to know. I, mean, I, I would love to look into that a little bit more, but you know, yeah, some of these smaller schools, maybe their student sections aren't as big, but they're also playing the teams that are playing there aren't also usually typically as good of basketball teams. So maybe that you know it's hard to kind of parse out between the two which which one it is. All right, so you did the work. Is it a big difference? Uh, and if so, to what degree? How many points you think uh, uh, could it be uh, for basketball games? Yeah, so I definitely think it matters if you have a really like for thing from. I'll say this: I think for most teams, most venues, it doesn't. But I do think there's a handful. I think that do when when the fans are really into it, they're right behind the basket. You know, I think that matters. Um, but like I said, it's not going to change a team winning by 10 to losing by 10. It may be worth maximum, like a point on average per game. So maybe some games it affects a couple free throws that they miss, but other games it doesn't. So about an average of a point a game on, on the most Um Do free throws, and, and as you point out, sometimes it's just the nature of a game, close game and more fouling. Are free throws more in the second half than first half? Yeah, so usually about like there's about 55% of the free throws that are shot in the second half during the game than about 45 in the first. All right, so again, you could make a difference, and sometimes you get a one-possession basketball game, so uh, if you're going to a UCF game tomorrow, you're in the student section, make a lot of noise, and who knows, it could have uh, an impact. i got to ask you one thing before I let you go. Uh, during your time at ESPN, um, you did 
the work to kind of uh, reconfigure the BPI, which um, is mm-hmm. one of several factors that a committee may look at. Uh, I think you may have read some of the stuff. Some of the ACC coaches and others have kind of uh, taken a shot at the Big 12 about manipulating uh, non-conference schedules to position themselves where they're not playing the challenging non-conference schedules. And yet, by the time you get to the conference season, they're all in position to play a bunch of quad one games. Jeff Capel called out the Big 12. It was interesting because he has one of the worst non-conference schedules in the country, and he picked on uh, the Big 12. Um, is there any validity to a conference, or in this case the Big 12, trying to manipulate the system to improve that net ranking or BPI by playing a softer non-conference schedule? Then when you play your tough conference schedule, you get the benefactor for that. Um. Yeah, that's. A, I mean, I understand the concern, especially for a conference like the ACC. You know, growing up, the ACC was the basketball conference, and, and it's not anymore, right? It's not considered the premier one. The Big 12 is. And so, you know, I think it might play a little bit into their opinions. But, you know, these metrics are trying to adjust for the schedule strength, right? And they're trying to adjust for that. Now, are those adjustments perfect? I mean, no, not, that, not no metric is perfect. Um, you know, my metrics that I made at ESPN were not perfect, but they they did the best they could to adjust, adjust for the fact. They're always pull out Gonzaga as the example. You know, you could do it's the exact opposite problem with Gonzaga, where they play a pretty hard non-conference schedule. It's just that their conference schedule sucks because they're in a not a great conference. And yet, how many years did we hear about? them not being a very good team because they never played anybody and then they went to two national title games in a span of three or four years and you know they've been dominant and they've you know converted that into tournament success as well and, you know it's not you know these metrics love to Gonzaga because they played the teams that were hard really well and they blew out the bad teams and blowing out bad teams is a sign of a good team you know what who doesn't blow out bad teams not good teams and so you know I it, I understand the frustration. Yeah, I would love to see probably uh, a couple more marquee non-conference games in the Big 12 next year. But, you know, look, you look at those records, you look at Kansas right, and the name and the uh, the brand of that team and look at where they are in the Big 12. I mean, they have like five or six losses. So and no one's telling me that Kansas is bad. You know, they're a good team. They've just played an 18-game Big 12 schedule here soon against also a lot of really good teams as well. And that's what happens. You beat each other up. And I would expect with 9, 10 teams in the tournament, like it would be a shock if one Big 12 team, if there wasn't at least one Big 12 team in the Final Four. One thing I would say, and clearly paying more attention with UCF in, in the league this year, is I think the Big 12 did a great job marketing. We're the best league in the country. Best league in the country. Best league in the country. And maybe the ACC needed to reevaluate its marketing because I think it resonated with people. Look, I... I'm not quite sure the Big 12's got a team that can win the national championship. Houston's really good. They may be flawed offensively. Iowa State, you know, the same deal. But I just think they marketed better. Best best league in the country. Best league in the country. And the ACC may have said, we're the ACC. The committee may not care about that. But I think it did resonate with some national media members. Yeah, per- perhaps. I mean, to your point about winning the title, there's a lot of teams that can win the title, and I think the Big 12 has probably five that realistically, if they got on a hot run, good. I mean, no one thought UConn was going to win last year. Right. There's plenty of teams in the Big 12 that are as good as UConn. We thought UConn was going into the postseason last year, and they got hot. And, you know, if a team gets hot, they can win the title. And there's several of those in the Big 12. Maybe they're not the favorite. Maybe they're not Purdue. They're not UConn. But there's several that are certainly capable. Oh, I think they can make that run. I guess my point though is that there may not be as many dominant teams as people think. Everybody's got some awards, and uh, you know, 
think every team in the Big 12's got that. that. I, I think Houston's the best defensive team I've seen in, in maybe th- 30 years calling basketball. They struggle at times to score, but you can't score on them. So, yeah, well, part of the problem you think they have wards is because they're 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 playing an elite eight schedule right, every week. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting stuff, and uh, March is going to be fun uh, as well. Uh, Paul, thanks. Appreciate the time. All right. Thanks for having me. Uh, Paul Saban, Saban Analytics. Um, it's worth about a point. Doesn't sound like a lot, but that's on average, as he said. Depends on certain places. Um, Kyle, have you ever heard uh, of the 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 great uh, student section at Arizona State? Um, the curtain of distraction. I have the curtain of distraction. Now, you don't know what's going to pop up. No. You know, Michael Phelps shows up wearing nothing but his swimming trunks, and the, the, that is a fantastic YouTube search if you'd ever like yeah, to go yeah. down a rabbit hole. You uh, see basketball tomorrow against uh, Iowa State, uh, top ten. They're ranked eighth in the country, and if Houston's the best defensive team in the country, Iowa State might be the second best defensive team in the country. Uh, they just held Oklahoma to 45 on uh, Wednesday. So 3.30 with a pregame tip is set for uh, 4 o'clock coming up tomorrow. We do have UCF baseball tonight, the undefeated Knights, in the first year for Coach Rich Wallace, hosting uh, South Florida, the first of a three-game set. Coverage starts at 6. We'll have radio coverage tonight and Sunday as well. Come back, and Richard Hill, a sports law expert, joins us for his weekly segment next. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.